On this episode of Stories Behind the Grind, listen to my conversation with Zach Smith, co-founder and CEO of Funded Today. We discuss how Funded Today raised over $250 million US in funds for over 2,500 businesses, why letting go is one of the best decisions Zach ever made, and how to retain company culture across a digital workforce, amongst much, much more. My name is Aidan Vokolo, and here you will find business strategies, tips, and tactics that you can incorporate not only in your own venture, but your life to help you simplify and strategically grow, scaling up the impact you're having in this world. Listen as I talk to creators, innovators, and game changers on what it takes to build an impactful business, uncovering their insights, strategies, and tips to help you increase profitability and develop a thriving team culture. Welcome to the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. Zach, thanks so much for coming on the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. It's great to have you on. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Wonderful. Zach, you're the CEO and co-founder of Founded Today, uh, the largest crowdfunding platform in the world. Tell me, what were the steps that led you to the launch of Funded Today? You want the long story or the short story? <laughs> I love the long story, sort of what led up to it and in how you okay. went from you know one person to where you are today. Okay. Yeah. So I've kind of never had a real job my entire life. I've always kind of been the serial entrepreneur type. And so I came home from a two-year service mission in Toronto, Canada, where I learned to speak Mandarin Chinese of all languages. And a person that I'd known my whole life was very, very successful in the two years that had lapsed. It was kind of the internet was taking off. There was a lot of opportunity. And he had basically found a way to scale certain industries. This particular industry was uh, investments in foreign currency exchange. And in the two years I was gone, he had made a ton of money. And he and I were kind of at the same level before I left. So I said, can I come over and chat with you? Can I help you out? Can I see what you're doing? He said, sure. I came over to his mansion and he kind of had the typical life that you kind of picture, you know, fancy cars, amazing house. And so it led me on as a pretty young 20 something, like this is interesting. This is cool. But his wasn't fake. It was really, he was actually making money. He was doing all these different things and he was leveraging the power of the internet. And one day led to two, a week, a month, a year. And about a year into this, he said, hey, let's, let's try to do some stuff together. I like you. You're a good partner. And so we formed a partnership and we basically followed a launch strategy similar to just how Apple launches a product. We launched a an investment product for trading and automating currency trading and different things. And long story short, we made about a million dollars in one day through the power of a launch strategy and holding three or four webinars where we had, you know, a thousand people on each webinar and converted at about 8%. And so that strategy was so effective that we built the whole business out of it and made quite a bit of money. I didn't eventually love what we were doing, though. Again, I'm I'm not necessarily a technical person. I didn't like staring at charts all day. It, it's a difficult business. It's a lot of pressure. And my partner said, okay, well, he loved it because he'd been doing it before me. He said, I'll buy you out. So he bought me out. And I didn't want to go and get a job. And I already had quite a bit of money now because of that successful exit. And I decided to create an online consulting firm. And the online consulting firm basically helped people start doing business, but to start doing business on the internet so they can leverage the power of scale. And as everybody knows, the internet's the best possible way to run a business nowadays because you can just do so much more with so much little capital and so much little personal capital as well in terms of people and, and those who help you because it's just amazing. And so I leveraged my story. I leveraged my success from the past campaign and that attracted a lot of people who wanted to work with me. Well. A year of this goes on and we run into a client who had invented something and we hadn't really worked with inventors as much. Well, this particular couple, they were probably 
their early 60s, they had invented a running wallet. And this running wallet was very, very interesting. It was mainly for marathoners and long-distance runners. And they would say, hey, we want to bring this thing to life, but I've just got a sewing machine and I've sewed a couple of these. And I invented this because it helps me hold my keys, credit cards, wallet, etc., without bouncing and chafing and all this stuff. And I thought, oh, that's cool because they've invented a product to actually solve a problem for themselves. But they're like, we don't have any money. And my practice was built on hourly retainers and different things like that, kind of to follow the degree that I had in accounting. I just kind of build like an attorney or an accountant. And so long story short, they said, have you heard of this thing called crowdfunding? And I hadn't. They said, have you heard of this thing called Kickstarter? It's a platform where you can raise money for new ideas and people basically pre-order your idea. And if you get enough money, then you take the money and then you give them what they pre-order. And if you don't, then it just fails. Want to try it? And I was in a good financial position. I said, sure, let's try it. And so we built a video. We designed a page. We found people who could create their product for them in mass. And we launched. And in 30 days, 35 days, we raised them $115,000 for this little running wallet from this 60 plus year old couple who nobody ever heard of. And suddenly everybody said, how did this crazy wallet just raise 115000 bucks?" And people started beating down our doors. And I just went back to what I was doing. My business partner, who I brought on to the latter half of that campaign, kept doing what he was doing with political fundraising and paid media marketing and different things like that. He'd worked on a lot of presidential campaigns and different senators and congressmen. And unfortunately, there were so many people beating a path to our door that we tried another one. And we raised $325,000 for that one. And then we did another one. And eventually, of course, word of mouth spread. And everybody said, if you want to raise money on Kickstarter, you got to hire these guys. Well, who are these guys? Well, his name's Zach. <laughs> we didn't have a name. And we'd already raised a million bucks. And so one day I wake up, my business partner has a website called funded.today. And I said, what's this about? Actually, I, he wasn't even a business partner. Again, we were just working as consultants or whatnot. Um, and so we didn't, we didn't have a business. And we've raised over a million dollars now. And suddenly... We have all of this traffic, but they're just, it's just word of mouth. Call this guy, figure this guy out kind of thing. You know, they're the ones doing it. It felt like magic at the time to people who would hire us because they'd see these spikes at the end of their campaign. They'd hire us with five days left and we'd raise them a hundred thousand dollars. How did they do it? Well, it was because we were applying all of these strategies and tactics and Thomas saw the potential. He's my business partner. And he said, great, let's go for it. I wake up, I see the website kind of surprises me funded dot today why are we using a dot today why aren't we going dot com or whatever you know but it kind of stuck him he's like because we get your project funded today sometimes we get your project funded in a few hours so i said oh okay well i mean it's it's explanatory it sticks and dot coms were kind of not as cool anymore you know you could you can have any sort of extension into your domain and we went with it and that was the story of funded today we have now worked with i think about three thousand campaigns we're closing in on 250 million dollars raised and it's just been a really good journey now we've got over 50 people working for us. And there's a lot of people in my company that do everything that I used to do and everything that Thomas used to do way better than we could ever do. And it's been a real good story. And we've been able to help out a lot of people bring a lot of amazing new ideas to life. Yeah, that, that, that's amazing. The, the amount of lives you've impacted, the amount of businesses you've impacted and, and the world yeah. you're changing is, is part of the, um, the Funded Today platform. What challenges did you overcome? Obviously, you've, you've had really, sounds like astronomical growth. That can be quite hard for founders. Um, it, yeah, you know, you're exactly right. We made the Inc. 500 this last year. We were the third fastest growing marketing and advertising agency in the world and number 27 overall for not in the world, in the United States, privately held companies. It's the Inc. 500 list that they do every year and it's based on revenue growth. So yeah, I mean, the growth potential was nuts. And I think the hardest thing that I had to learn to do was to let go. 
I like to control everything. I thought I was very good at doing what I was doing and nobody could do it better than me. And when you hire your first person, it's painful. It's scary. Oh no, this person has to do all the stuff that I do. And then your second person and your third person, maybe when you get to your fifth or sixth person where that's a lot of the things you were doing, it gets easier. But to get those first core people in to do all the stuff that you were doing and trust that they're going to do it as good as you and ultimately better is hard to do. Plus, you, you're like, well, I'm giving up income. I'm giving up money. I'm having to pay these people to do this. But what you don't understand is that by doing that, you are now leveraging your time. You are now leveraging what you were doing so that you can do more and so that they can do more. And eventually, because they're just specializing on that one thing you do, they get better than you at it as well. So I think if I could do it all over again, I would have grown quicker. I would have let go quicker. I would have trusted people more. And I think that's probably the biggest thing I've learned with scale. And again, now that we're at 50 plus people, it's like I, t- I talk to companies all the time because we don't just do crowdfunding. We do Amazon marketing. We do e-commerce marketing. We, we work with bigger companies now. We work with equity crowdfunding to do some of the creative and digital media behind there. And these guys have millions of dollars of budget. And they've got 600 people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people, I think one of our clients has. And it's like, gosh, I'm sitting here with 50 plus and I thought I had some big thing, right? And I'm just a splash in the water for some of these guys that we're working with. And it's like, how do you get to that next level? And again, I'm faced with something I've never dealt with before and on to the next frontier. And it's been a a fun learning opportunity to see what we can do to grow bigger. And then the question also is, how much bigger do you want to grow? What's what's enough? When are you happy with what you have? And there's a saying, if you're not growing, you're dying. But I don't necessarily know if that's true. If you can maintain market share and if you can live a good life and if you've got everything taken care of, there's something to be said for maybe that's good enough. Maybe everybody doesn't need to become an Apple. And so that's been the last couple of years of my life trying to determine what exactly I want with everything that I've created and everybody in my team has helped to create. Yeah. How have you managed to, from, I guess, from a cultural point of view, you know, having 50 staff can be, can be challenging at times to manage a team of 50. How have you made sure that Funded Today has a, has good company culture? We have a very unique business model. We're similar to the company Buffer which is like a social media syndication type company. Not in, that, not because of that's what we do, but our entire workforce is remote and digital-based. So people can work whenever they want, however they want, whatever they want to do, so long as they get the work done and, and we get good results. And that is becoming more and more mainstream, but it was not mainstream five years ago. It was not nearly as exciting. And so we were able to attract a lot of people with that type of model because... Who doesn't want to wake up and work in their underwear occasionally? (laughs) I think a lot of people were attracted to that idea. But the other thing we found is a lot of people actually work a lot more when they get to pick their own hours and when they they get to work whatever they want because they're, they're not necessarily set to, here's what you do every day. They're more allowed to experiment and get creative and test things out and try things. And so, I mean, last night, I think I was on at 2, 2 a.m. dealing with something, you know, and why would I normally do that? But I enjoy it. And that's because maybe from two in the afternoon to five, I was at the gym or, reading a book or something. So the hours are weird and they're different and they're strange. And we have clients all over the world. So I guess one of our culture components is we are the experts. We are the crowdfunding experts. We are the e-commerce digital experts. It's one of our core values. And everybody in their company prides themselves in being able to understand what needs to happen to make a job well done. The other thing that probably is probably important for our culture is the fact that we have a lot of different divisions, but we all work together very cohesively. So we might make a video, we might design the marketing and the ad copy and the branding, and then our paid media team will work in harmony with our creative division to bring 
their creative vision to life as it relates to the digital media side of things. And I don't think you see that. A lot of times you have a creative agency and then you have a marketing agency and then you have a branding agency, but we've been able to kind of capture, encapsulate all of those things in-house. That's really critical. And I think communication is such a big issue, especially in organizations and especially when you start to outsource work. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. Like you said, if, if you don't have that communication between between divisions, then the end product is wanting- Oh, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And and a, a note on communication. If anybody is trying to create a digital agency or a digital model or a remote-based business or whatever else you want to call it, there's a great book by Jason Fried, Jason Fried, Fried, I forget how you pronounce it, but it's called Rework. It's a really good, really good book. And he, he's actually written a couple more as well. He's the one who started Basecamp, which is a really very lucrative SaaS company. I don't even think they took outside funding, but you have to communicate. When you're in an office every single day, you have a lot of opportunities to talk to people and chat and share and engage. If you don't actively make sure that what you are writing and getting on Skype calls or phone calls or whatever else you're doing with your clients and with your people, you can fall out of touch and feel very removed very quickly. And I'd say that's probably the biggest downside of not having the water cooler, so to speak, of traditional workforces. Do you have, I guess, stuff, online staff functions where everyone sort of comes together to share stories to replicate the, the water cooler effect? Yeah, that was one thing we did to combat things. So once per quarter, we have a pretty big company activity. And then once or twice per month, we have company luncheons where everybody can get together. Now, because we had people working all over the world for a while, that was difficult. So we're primarily in Utah. Now, I'd say maybe 60, 70% of our workforce is out of the state of Utah. And we did that not because we necessarily think Utah is the best place to get workers, although it is a great place. It's kind of known as Silicon Slopes affectionately now because of just how many tech companies and how many unicorns exist here in this state. But we, we've done that because now we have the luxury of working remote, but then we can have on-sites, luncheons, quarterly activities, parties as often as we want as well and get most of our people there. And so I think I'll continue to do that, even though I will still allow the digital remote culture to coexist with that vision. Yeah, I love that sort of using old and the new world coming together. Uh-huh. Because you can't get rid of it. As much as digital nomad sounds amazing, there's a lot of things that aren't great about it. And we found that depressions around, I mean, I'm dealing with anxiety problems, suicide problems, you know what I mean? Like, it's amazing all the things that you think you're doing when you're a businessman and all the things you actually deal with. I mean, as an entrepreneur, you're a counselor, you're a therapist, you're, and again, you don't want to be these things. You definitely tell them to seek professional help, but it just happens naturally when you're a CEO, when you start your business, if you grow to the level that we've grown to, all the problems you never even thought you dealt with, an entrepreneur kind of deals with them all. I, I affectionately say sometimes it's like, and again, I don't say this sacrilegiously, but it's it's sometimes if you believe in religion, it's like what a God must have to deal with in some sense. It's the most pure form of acting as a God would act with here on earth. Yeah, I mean, you've got all the, not only your challenges, but every every client's challenge and every staff's uh-huh. challenge. And you're the one that's at the top, so you're the one who has to deal with it all. And the perspectives are so different. Sometimes someone will say something to you and someone will say the exact opposite and they both think they're entirely correct. And when you share what the other person said with the other person, they just sit there and they're like, oh, wow, I never thought that. And I'm like, this is what I deal with every day. It's crazy. And sometimes the right decision is the hard decision. And sometimes they're both wrong and sometimes they're both right. Last night, that issue that I was dealing with, both people were exactly right in every single way. And so I have to be the judge and mediator to to determine what needs to be done? And it's very difficult because no matter what you decide, someone's going to be happy. You can't just cut the baby in half. Yeah, you can't, you can't compromise as much as you want to uh-huh. please everybody. And I guess it comes yep. back down. You can't please everyone as much as you want to. That's either. such a good take. That's such a good takeaway. I mean, if you go into a business, 
sometimes just realize if 50% of people love you and 50% of people hate you, you probably are doing okay. I think you need to start to be worried when it's 70-30 or 60-40 or 80-20. It's kind of like politics in that sense where it's very polarizing. And it's also like politics where one day you'll be loved and another day you'll be hated and the next day you'll be loved and you'll be hated. And it just kind of it just kind of goes with the territory. And it's tough if you're a person who wants to be loved and wants to be liked. And I think that's most people. But if you really want to become an entrepreneur, I think you have to have really thick skin and you have to you have to be nice to people even when they're not nice to you. And that's difficult to do. And it's easy to react emotionally because if you own it, you can say whatever you want, you can do whatever you want. And yes, there's consequences, but you kind of get to make the final say on everything. And there's just so much nuance to how to do it right. And I'm not even saying I necessarily do it right. There, it's just such a, I don't know, I call it holistic harmonization where you're trying to create harmony among all the different things that you're doing so that they all are spinning and going at the same time. Because if any one of them stops, then you have problems. How do you deal with the emotional side of things in terms of you know the ups and downs? I'm not as good as others. My business partner is really good at saying, I'm, I'm jumping off at five every day. There's always more work to be done. And if I work till 5.30, that's not going to necessarily make a difference in the grand scheme of things tonight. So I'm done at five. I work from this to this every day. And he's been better than me at that, where he just sets aside time to relax and to de-stress. And I think that would be one bit of advice I give. There's always going to be more work to be done. There's always going to be more things that you could be doing. You got to make sure you're doing the most important things. But if you want to have your emotional health right, you got to be willing to step away. You got to be willing to take a break. And honestly, sometimes the best things have happened for my company when I have taken a break. The longest break I took was like 60 days last year when I went on a trip to Mount Everest and we hiked and we visited India and a lot of other countries. That's a long time to be away, 60 days. I didn't really, for at least 30 of those days, I was not even in contact because it's pretty hard to have communication when you're at 19,000 feet. And it was really good because there's nothing I could do. So they had to learn to be entrepreneurial themselves. They had to fix problems that I would have had to fix before. And that might've been the next step required to step away, to allow yourself to experience the true joy that comes from entrepreneurship when it's successful. And that's freedom. At first, as an entrepreneur, you're the only person in the world who will work 80 hours. So you don't have to work 40 for somebody else. And that's great. Do that for a year or two or however long it takes. But ultimately, if you're working that long, you might as, unless you're making crazy money or something, you need to probably consider if that's good for you. And so being able to step away helps tremendously with your emotional health because you learn what it's like when other people have full control of the baby that you once created. And that was very powerful for me. Now I don't feel worried at all if I'm gone a day or two to do things because I know people are going to step in and make the right decisions because I've empowered them to do so. But you don't get that experience and that luxury until you actually take that leap of faith and make it happen. And a lot of entrepreneurs will never do that because they're too afraid or they just don't have the opportunity. Yeah, it comes back down to what you were saying before about letting control when, you, when you're when you one person, when you hide you know, your next uh -huh. person. And it comes back down to, I think, critical word you said was empowering, empowerment, mm. so empowering your, your staff. To, to fill the gap, to fill the void that you leave if you are away. And you know what's great? A lot of people have funded today. I hear this a lot in my interviews with, with our managers particularly. I feel like I own this company. I feel like it's part of me. I love when they say that. It doesn't make me mad that they think they own my company. It shows that they believe in it, that they feel that power. And that's exactly what I want. I would love for even my lowest staff member, the person I hired yesterday, to feel like they own a piece of funded today. Because ultimately, isn't that what you want? And you can make work fun and people feel like what I have created is what they have created and everybody's in this journey together to make something greater than we ever thought it could be. 
yeah, to have a to have a whole business in, in alignment where every staff you know knows uh-huh. or believes or feels that they're contributing to something larger and greater. It trumps, I believe, it trumps. Um, you know, using the stick in a sense. You know, putting yep. in all, all these performance metrics and forcing people to work for you because you're paying them. It's such a you know empowerment is such a a brilliant sort of I guess goal for organisations empowerment of staff. Yeah, it really is. I never thought of it that way, but I think you you put it exactly right. Maybe your long term goal for starting a business is to have other people take ownership of what you created and be happy with that. Yeah, yeah. Depends depends what you know what your vision and, and goals are, and depends how you define success. But um, that's definitely um, you know, a noble goal for some. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Zach, you've obviously helped a lot of um, you know, startups and businesses take off through crowdfunding. Are there the characteristics or traits of companies that you see that do really well? Yeah. If you want to have a successful crowdfunding campaign, and I have I have a podcast actually as well, if anybody would want to listen to the, the episodes, I'm sure Aiden will include it in a link in the show notes because we go through every single step along the way of how to be successful. The first probably six, maybe seven episodes will walk you through that. But if I had to just distill it into a sentence or two, it's this. Ubiquity plus tech plus compelling story equals greatest chance for success. So let's break it down from the top. Ubiquity, what does that mean? That just means how wide, how deep can your market go? Easiest way to think about it, let's talk about a towel. There was this towel called Onsen. Onsen is this towel that was invented by this guy who spent some time in Japan at the bathhouses. And Onsen is, I think, the Japanese word for a Japanese bathhouse. Everybody baths, everybody showers. And so it's ubiquitous meaning you've got a really big market, people needing a towel. They need a towel to bathe. Now let's go to the next part, techie or innovative. How can a towel be techie or innovative? Well, this guy integrated bamboo, silver, and a waffle weave to a towel to make it have that innovative edge so it wouldn't develop moldu, so it wouldn't smell, so it would dry very quickly, so it would wick away very nice. But then it was soft as well, so it had that luxurious type fill. And then finally, compelling story, I already told you that. What happened? The guy spent some time in a Japanese bathhouse and liked the idea of what he saw there and called the towel onsen. And so you've got the story, you've got the ubiquity, you've got the techie innovative element, and that towel raised a million dollars. And I can break that down with you from every single campaign we've ever worked on, whether it was the Valbax travel jacket, the sixth most funded campaign in history. He took a travel jacket and he created 20 plus different features within the jacket. So it's got gloves, it's got a hoodie, it's got a neck pillow, an inflatable neck pillow. It's got a thing to cover your eyes so you can sleep at night on a flight or on a train or wherever you're going. It has a stylus. It has a pen so you can fill out a passport. And again, I can go and list out all these different features. He took a jacket, a ubiquitous item. Everybody probably wears a jacket at one point in their lives. And then he made it techie. And then his story, of course, was now traveling doesn't have to suck. Bring this jacket and this is all you need. It even had a pocket to carry your iPad and a cozy for a drink if you needed to carry your drink with you. So, and you can do this with every successful campaign on Kickstarter or Indiegogo for crowdfunding and not just for crowdfunding, but this applies to anything. And I would say that's the best chance for success is following that formula. Yeah. I love how you value distilled it down to three sort of core components. Can you, can you delve a bit deeper into how business owners can start to build their own compelling story? Yeah. I think the easiest way for somebody who is entrepreneurial or, or wants to be entrepreneurial is to ask yourself, what problems am I facing? And you might be like, oh, I, I have no problems. You need to start looking at things a little bit more closely. Everything is a problem. 
me talking to you on Zoom for this podcast is a potential problem. What are the difficulties with this particular system that we are using? Think about them. Ask yourself that with everything you're doing. When I'm on Facebook, what do I not like about Facebook? What do I wish it had? What do I wish was different? When I'm traveling in my car, what would make my life easier? What would do here? The biggest way to become an entrepreneur is to solve a problem that makes your life easier. Because if you make your life easier, chances are you're going to make a lot of other people's lives easier because as much as we think we're different, we're very much the same. And that's what's so great about when you solve a problem for yourself, you're probably solving a problem for thousands of people and sometimes millions of people. And solving problems already has the story inlaid because you solved the problem in your own life. So there's the story. Yeah, you've got, you've got the backstory of how you got to that problem. You've got how you overcame the challenges to solve the problem. And then you've got, you know, how the life looks like after the problem solved. It's the hero's journey. Yeah, it is. It is. Anyone doesn't know what the hero's journey is, I uh, highly recommend looking into it. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's a lot of good books. Who, who's been a, a big influence for you during your life? Well, I, I have to give credit to all of my different business mentors along the way. My first business partner, even though he eventually bought me out of the company, it was a good decision because it allowed all of this to happen, which ended up being 10, 20, 30 times bigger than even that was. And so he opened my eyes to what could actually be possible for somebody who, I mean, I don't come from money. My dad is a school teacher and my mom really never worked. She just raised six kids. And so every single dollar I've made, I can keep track of. I have, I remember how I made my first dollar. And my story is one where really anybody could do. It's not like I had any sort of advantages. I mean, yes, I had the internet. Yes, I I wasn't destitute and on the streets, but my advantages were not like a lot of people who go to the best colleges and have unlimited time at home. I mean, I had to work. I had to I had to go and do construction with my dad in the summer so that we could make ends meet. And again, give credit to my family for teaching me a work ethic. Give credit to the hard work and drive that they helped me to develop to realize that I could become even more successful than they were because of the path that they paved for me. So I think those are people that I would look to. And then, of course, everybody at my company, because of what they've done and their, their trust that they've given to me and the trust that I've given to them, we've been able to create something great. I haven't really lost many people throughout the years, which I think has been really cool. A lot of companies have turnover. and I still have some of the very first people that ever worked for me in my company. And that's very rare. A lot of times you lose all those people after you reach a level of success because the people who got you where you are don't necessarily get you where you're going or the vision's changed or they become dissatisfied. That wasn't the case of Funded Today. We only lost a couple. And I, I think that's a testament to our culture and the brand that we've created and the good lives that we've had. I, I have people at my company who are building houses or have built houses or have the cars that they dreamed of. And they say, this is the car that Funded Today bought. This is the house that Funded Today built. I love those stories, right? Because that's a legacy that's going to carry on well after I'm gone and well after people don't even know what Funded Today is anymore or well after Funded Today morphs into something that it isn't even at right now. Yeah, yeah. To become part of the narrative of your staff and of, of your clients and everyone you sort of, every new sort of impact is a huge testament to Funded Today. Yeah, when you start to become part of someone's narrative, it's sort of the, you know, one of the pinnacles really. Yep. It's how you develop and leave a legacy. Oh, uh, absolutely. Where did, your, where did your sort of interest in small business startups and entrepreneurship uh, stem from? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that. But if I had to just think off the top of my head, I'd probably say from my dad. My dad created a construction company that he did in the summers when he wasn't teaching. And I saw what, in fact, 
that business makes more money than teaching in two or three months. And I always said, dad, why the heck don't we just do this 12 months a year, right? Like small businesses are so great. And I like small businesses too, because they're agile and they're lean. And that's why I say I debate between how big do I actually want to try to make funded today? Because the bigger we've gotten, the more bureaucratic it has become. Even now, I can't make a decision to have things change tomorrow. I used to be able to do that. And you complain about bureaucracy at companies like Google or Facebook and how you can't even, I mean, you can't even talk to somebody at Google on the phone. They're so big. And it's like, how, how is this possible? But then you think logistically, well, if they allowed people to talk, that'd be 2 billion potential phone calls that they would have to account for. And that's why they don't do that. And that's why they have their systems and their channels. So I've learned more about bureaucracy and respect bureaucracy at the Fortune 500 level and some of these other different companies that we've worked with. And I understand why you have to create governments essentially when you get bigger. But then for me, it's like, I'm an entrepreneur. I like small business. How big do I want to get before I completely lose touch with everything there once was? And so I think it's a constant battle. And you have to ask yourself that question when you get to a point where you have the luxury of determining, do I want to stay here? Do I want to go here? Where do I ultimately want to be? And I think the earlier you ask yourself that question, the easier it is to make the decision when that time comes. Yeah, definitely. If, if, if you know where you're going and you uh-huh. had that conversation earlier on. You can definitely... A lot of people don't do that. They want the fancy car, they want the house, they want the mansion, but they didn't necessarily think about what their life would be like differently when they got there. And so they're, they're, they're hollow. They're hollow after because there's not anything left to necessarily think about because they've achieved it all. I wrote something a couple days ago. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, there is something profound that comes from the fulfillment of a job well done. Richard Watts, in his classic book, Fables of Fortune, What Rich People Have That You Don't Want, writes, when we no longer need to work hard to meet our needs, the opportunity for achievement is diminished. We fail to set and renew goals. Things come too easily. We often lose our focus. Satisfaction and contentment are ideas to be chased. The very act of reaching them can cause the beginning of personal stagnation. And I really resonated with that. The very act of reaching them can cause the beginning of personal stagnation. When you've achieved everything you ever thought you wanted in life, suddenly depression can sit in. And that's why I think you see a lot of rich people doing everything they can to create experiences and things nobody else is doing because they're like, what else is there? They got everything they ever thought they wanted and they didn't know what to do once they got there. And so it's so important to visualize and plan what your life is going to look like so when you're there, you're not bored. So you don't have that stagnation. And so you keep achieving and doing more things. And so you never lose that vision and that hope that comes with achievement. Yeah, that's, that's, that's super powerful. I would encourage those listening to revisit that, you know, define what your life's going to look like in five years or whatever time frame you choose and then continually update what that looks like as you go along because it might change, you know. No, I agree. And these are things I didn't do as well along the way. And so I'm going back and backtracking and trying to self-correct. So I think it's good advice for anybody who's not quite where you want to be yet to practice these things now. They might seem superfluous or they might seem like, oh, let me make some money first or let me do that. But the making money stuff happens pretty quickly. Seven years ago, I didn't have millions of dollars. So it can happen very fast. Yeah. And seven years is such a short period of time as well. Oh, it is. You know, in the grand scheme of things. Um, how do you stay focused and driven? Has that developed over the last couple of years as, as, the, as Funder Today has grown? I always have had a little bit of that you know, you, you go back to psychology and the nature-nurture debate. How much was nature? How much was nurture? I definitely had the nature to always win. I hate to lose. And losing is even second place for me. If I play a soccer game and I score five goals, but we lose 
five to six. I'm mad, even though I scored five freaking goals, which would be amazing normally. And I'm mad because we lost. And I think that's a nature thing, but I also think it's a nurture thing because everybody in my family is pretty competitive and we were taught to win. We were taught to do our very best. And if we do our very best, we're not just going to be satisfied, but we're going to win because when you do your best, most people just simply don't work as hard as you. Literally one of the simplest things I've learned in life, if you could take anything away from my story, it's to just work hard. If you work hard, you are probably going to beat out almost everybody but Gary Vaynerchuk or somebody who, who literally is probably working too hard, quite frankly, you know, but that's what he wants to do. Most people just don't work that hard. And if you work hard, you're, you're going to win. For me, the motivation was there because I had this vision of, I, I set goals and I achieved every one of those goals. And they were lofty goals that, in fact, the, the very last one I had, it, it's funny, I, I did a Facebook post on this if anybody ever follows me on Facebook, but the last goal I had was, and it was to make the Inc. 500 list. And I wrote that, I think five years ago or something. And I finally did in 2018. That was one of the goals I had for my company. That was the last one I had to check off my list. And I had, I have all kinds of goals because again, holistic harmonization, creating that harmony in all aspects of your life, not just business, not just money-wise, but personal, financial, social, emotional, intellectually, and then fun as well. Like what's your, what's your hobbies? What are the things that you're doing that, that bring you joy outside of work? If, if work brings you joy, great, but you probably should find something else that you love. And for me, it's playing indoor soccer, it's playing basketball, it's weightlifting and it's reading books and listening to podcasts and just interacting with people who are like-minded or who, people who can motivate me and inspire me or, or have been places that I've never been before so that I can continue to set my heights higher. I used to th think I set lofty goals, but I already achieved them all and I'm 31. So my goals obviously were not lofty enough, right? I think a lot of times we can set goals way bigger than we ever thought. And you got to set the little goals along the way so you can have that achievement, so you can check them off because there's something that happens when you check a goal off. It creates momentum. And in order to be motivated, I don't believe in motivation. I believe in understanding your why and understanding your who. And your why is, why are you doing this? Well, I'm doing this to get rich. Well, that's not it. Well, I'm doing this because if I'm rich, I'll be able to spend time with my family. And anytime my daughter has a concert, I'll be able to go there at the drop of a hat. Or anytime my son has a basketball game or anytime I want to go to a concert, anytime I just want to get on a plane and go somewhere, I can go. Okay, that's a better why. And you got your who in there too. I'm doing it for my family. Now that goal means something and it's not, I want to get rich. I want the fancy car. I want the house. And motivation comes when you do that for every single one of your goals and you ask yourself, what's my why? Who am I doing this for? And then when you wake up and go to the gym, it's not like, why the heck am I going to the gym? Why am I lifting? Why am I doing this? Well, I'm doing this because I don't want to get heart disease. I want to live a long, healthy life so that when I'm 70, I can still go ski down a mountain. Now, when you're in the gym and you're struggling because it sucks, you're going to still push through because it means something to you. Yeah, it comes back down to that internal um, internal uh, desires and needs. Is I agree completely. It's um, whenever someone says, oh, I'm just doing it for the money. I've been there. I've, I've tried yeah. to, to start a couple of businesses that, you know, uh, when I was at um, high school and, and university that wow. were just for the money. And they, they, they didn't last long at all because, you know, it takes a while, can take a while to make money and you lose motivation and, you know, you yep. only, you only go to a certain point. I really resonate with delving a bit deeper and understanding why you do what you do. And that, that helped me get through in mind too. I didn't get rich quick. I mean, seven years is quick. So I did get rich quick in that sense. But for years, I made no money. In that first business I started when I got, when I got back from Toronto, 
I don't think I made more than $30,000 for two years. So that's not rich by anybody's standard. But then a million dollars in one day, right? You have to have that vision and have that patience. And yes, it does come quick, but it doesn't come as quick as you might think. Yeah, it comes back down. Exactly, having patience. And you, you could have, you know, imagine if you gave up after, you know. Oh, yeah. The, and there the were day. times. There were yeah. times for sure. <laughs> My family, what are you doing? <laughs> Go back to university. Go back to college. Hmm. What are you doing? You're, you're, the, you're, you're a valedictorian. Why, why are you not going to law school? Why are you not doing this? And even I was like, what am I doing? This is, but I saw that potential and I believed and I knew that this would work because I saw, I saw the, I saw $30,000. We made 30 grand. If we just do this 10 times bigger, that's 300 grand. And if we do it 20 times bigger, that's 600 grand. And I know how to duplicate that, right? And I counted those little wins along the way and I saw the forest through the trees. Yeah, back down to having that momentum and, and off you went. I'm I'm really curious. What made you do accounting at, at um, university? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. So I actually switched my degree quite a few times. I started off in political science because that was kind of the traditional degree of an attorney. And I, I was thinking I would go on to law school. And I was actually three or four classes away from having a degree there. And I switched because business, it was starting to take off. I was starting businesses while I was in college. And I thought, I don't want to go to law school. I, that's going to be a lot of work and time and lawyers. I don't know. You know, it's a lot of desk work. I'm not necessarily that type of person. And so I started looking around and there was a degree in my university called technical cells, which was interesting because I love people and I love cells and I love social psychology, behavioral psychology, all that kind of stuff and persuasion. And I started taking a ton of classes in that and almost switched my major. And I got within like two classes of getting a degree in that. So now I'm up to hundreds of credits. And I thought, that's a stupid degree though. Not knocking anybody who has that one, but you don't get a degree in cells. What good's that going to do for you? And at that point, somebody said, well, you should look into business. And I said, okay, well, and again, it's crazy. I think of this now because I, I, I was an entrepreneur my whole life, but I didn't actually know I was an entrepreneur. Like I'd go and sell snow cones door to door in a radio fire wagon. And I'd set snow cones up at soccer tournaments and sell 200 bucks of snow cones in two hours when I was a kid. That's entrepreneurial. But for some reason, I didn't call myself an entrepreneur. I just thought, oh, here's a way to make 60 bucks an hour instead of work for $5 an hour at the local pizza hut or something, you know? And I realized it in college that I was an entrepreneur, but I had that mindset like, oh, I need security. I need that blanket. I need something in case things don't work out. And so at the last minute, I switched to accounting because someone said, well, business and accounting is the language of business. That was the line they used. And I thought, okay, well, let me go learn the language of business because I'm probably going to have to be doing a lot of different things related to that. And I might as well learn something that I've never really known anything about because everybody always complains about taxes and finances and accounting and bookkeeping and financial statements and all that stuff. And so I got a degree in accounting. It was probably the best thing I ever did in terms of being able to understand how the money actually works, to look at a statement of cash flows, to look at an income statement and a balance sheet, and to, and to review your finances and to be able to create budgets and projections, because it's really helped us to set goals that make sense rather than just have pie in the sky. And it's helped us with all kinds of other things too, audits and all the other random crap that you never think you're going to have to deal with because we keep very clean books and everything's always updated and we have literally 24-7 finances. I can tell you at any point in time exactly what a month is looking like. And that's, a, that's been a powerful thing. And I think it's probably because of my background in accounting and my business partner's attention to creating systems and processes out of things that we do more than once that has allowed for us to have a very... A couple of days ago, one of our guys was like, I can't believe the dashboard and the accounting we have. We should create a SaaS just for what we built here for all the other businesses. Cause this is like QuickBooks on steroids or something, you know? And it's kind of true. That's, that's what we have. And it's, 
it's a beautiful little system that we just call the backend. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question about accounting, but maybe that gives you a little bit of why it ended up happening that way. So I took like 24 credits a semester because I'd already been in college too long. I got my associate's degree while I was in high school. And so I wanted to be done in college in a year or two. And I think I ended up finishing up college, a four-year degree in three years, even though I almost had three or four degrees by the time I was finished because I got a legal studies minor and a minor in Mandarin Chinese. So I have a lot more college than a traditional, I hate college entrepreneur. And I kind of do hate college, but I just, I just hate it because I think you can learn so much on your own if you just put in the work. But there's something to be said for people who need somebody to give them an education. And college maybe has its place in some ways. And most people who are college educated, for whatever reason, tend to have some of the skills that maybe people writing and grammar and all, all those kind of things that I, I think still matter to a certain extent, being able to communicate an idea. And there's something to be said about college for just getting it done because it shows somebody who set a goal and got it done. And sometimes people just don't have that stick to itiveness that's needed to see something through all the way to the end if they don't, if they haven't done anything. But you don't need college to do that. There's a lot of other ways to prove that you're committed to a cause for the long term. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, college is just one way of one way of doing it. There are many, uh-huh. many, many other ways to um to show Absolutely. that same, same dedication. You mentioned a bit earlier on before about you know every goal you've set, you've reached. That's quite unique. A lot of people will set goals and, and not reach them. How have you managed to consistently achieve your goals? I have an entire podcast episode, and I don't mean to promote it, but I just barely released it. It's episode seventeen. It, it released this last Wednesday. I would recommend everybody listen to that. But again. The simplest way to say how I've achieved my goals is the first thing to do is to write them down. You would be surprised if you wrote your goals down today and you spent an hour or two and just wrote down everything you ever thought you wanted to achieve in life. Go back a year later and look at them. Go back two years later and then finally go back five years later. You'll probably find that you've accomplished a ton of the goals you wrote down without even knowing it happened. Why? I don't know. There's something to be said about just putting pen to paper and making it happen. So that's the first tip. The second tip is to know your why and to know your who. When you set your goals, if you have those in mind, you're actually going to hit them because they're not just about doing it because you set a goal. There's meaning behind it. There's substance. And then the third tip is to actually have check-ins. If you actually have check-ins with yourself, I have check-ins weekly and then monthly. So every week and then once a month, I go through all my goals and I look at where I'm at. When you have these check-ins, you can get back on track. Last month, I had a goal to read three books. I had only read one when I had like seven days left in the month. What did I do? I finished the other two books because I have a rule. When I set a goal, I make the goal happen no matter what. I don't give myself an excuse. So while my, let's say Funded Today stopped making money tomorrow and I have a goal to make a certain amount of money every year, I would not suddenly be like, oh crap, I got to reduce that goal. I would say, okay, the strategy for reaching the goal that I have for raising money is gone, but the goal doesn't change. I still need to make this much money. So what the heck am I going to do to make this much money? A lot of people, when crap hits the fan, what do they do? They say, oh, I better adjust my goals. Oh, there's only seven days left. I guess I'll just finish reading this one book instead of finish reading the three books that I needed to read. Not me. I say there's seven days left. I've got 200 pages left in this book. I divide 200 by seven and I go and read that many pages every day and I make sure I hit my goal. It's super powerful. It's just a change in in, in mindset. Exactly. People think they, yeah. yeah, people think that's so true. I used to not believe in this stuff either. I used to believe, oh, that's foo-foo, that's that's junk, that's just hype, let's get, you know, entrepreneur, you can make that kind of stuff high in the sky. Not anymore. I'm a lot, I'm a much bigger fan of mindset. And I think I'm going to keep setting bigger goals for myself because for some reason when I do, they always seem to happen. And when I set the smaller goals, I achieve those too. But 
that's not as exciting anymore. Why not try to set a goal that's so big that, in fact, I just did a post, save $50,000 a month. Some guy on my Facebook post just commented while we're on this. He's like, 50,000 bucks a month saving. Ha ha ha. Wow. But for me, that is not crazy. I'm like, why didn't I save $100,000? For him, he can't even imagine that because he doesn't even make $50,000 in a year. But that's the difference in mindset, right? Until you think it, there's not even a chance of it being real. Until you put it on paper, it's never going to happen. And so you have to set these big lofty goals because until you do it, your mindset doesn't even change so that you can shift your way of thinking. Literally 50,000 bucks a month is nothing for me. I can find a million ways to think of how to do that. And so for him to laugh at that, I love because I will tell him what I just told you just now. You obviously have no mindset at all. If you think that's crazy, how the heck can you possibly ever achieve what you want to do? And if you don't want to do that, that's fine. We're talking about income here, but you can do it for any goal you want in life. Whatever you set your mind to tends to happen if you'll just stay persistent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Jordan Peterson talks about it in terms of, you know, you, you self-organize behind your goals. And as soon as uh-huh. you set a goal, you, you know, things start to align because that's what you're aiming for. It's crazy how many times that's happened in my life. Switching from income, I have a goal to write a musical. It's the weirdest thing ever, right? Write a musical. Why? As soon as I wrote that goal down, I started telling people about it, just like I'm telling you now. Mm-hmm. And one thing led to another. And now I have a composer, an orchestra, someone who helped me to do this, this other side of things. Like, it's going to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? And this is only a few weeks after setting this goal. I, I was even like, how the heck is this possible? Gives you chills thinking about it, right? Yeah, it And does, that's the same thing that happens when you set a $50,000 a month goal to save that much money. Somehow you start having things come together and things happen. Yeah, it's like the universe is working in your favor. Yeah. It comes, comes back down to the hero's journey in a sense where you sort yep. of start to find allies around. Yep. I love it. Zach, a question that I'd like to ask all, all guests on the podcast is, what's your definition of the grind? It's mm, a good question. What's the best answer you've ever received on that so far? I've, to be <laughs> honest, I've, I've received mixed, mixed responses. Um, some people love it and some people yeah. hate the word. Um, <laughs> and and bit, yeah, bits and pieces in between. So I'd, I'd love to hear what, what the word sure. means for you. Well, I would say I love it because the grind definitely got me where I am at now. But I don't think the grind is where I want to be for the rest of my life. My life shifted more to freedom. Freedom meaning a lot of different types of freedom, health freedom. I don't want to be sick. I want to live a long, healthy life. And so if I work too much or if I kill my body too much, I might decline prematurely. And so I'm in a position where I can readjust and reassess and say, where do I want to be? I think of spiritual freedom, spirituality, and is this life all that we have? Where do I want my mindset to be? What do I want to understand about God and the universe? And I think about all of these kind of things now. And so I've left the grind for six to seven other categories, again, going on that principle of holistic harmonization, where I want my entire life to be harmonized rather than strictly focused on one particular thing. But I think there's something to be said about just putting your nose to the grindstone and working as hard as you can for a certain period of time. Because yes, you will neglect a lot of things in your life. And I had a lot of terrible things happen because of that. But I don't necessarily regret those terrible things that happened because it gave me a wonderful life now. And now I'm in a position where I can self-assess and it's not too late. So if you're grinding too much and maybe in your 40s or something, maybe it's time to be like, do I really want this? Am I getting to a point where maybe there's something more? But if you're in your early 20s, you've got a lot of time on your hands. And it makes sense to go for what you really need because financial freedom affords a ton of luxuries if you use it wisely and if you don't let it change you. And I feel like I've done a pretty good 
job up to this point in my life of doing that. And it's allowed all the other divisions in my life to flourish. I don't know if that's a good answer or not. No, that, that, that's a really good answer. It's, um, and I like how things have sort of changed, you know. Yes. So what, what once was, you know, the grind meant for me, work hard, you know, uh-huh. long hours. Now it's what can the grind do for me? in terms uh-huh. of going after freedom and having a more, like you said, sort of holistic and harmonious lifestyle. And I am a little different. I do go after everything really hard. I mean, I'm, I'm 31 years old, but if you play me in an indoor soccer game, I'm going to destroy you. Like, <laughs> I, I just take things a little too seriously, maybe, but that's just how I am. So it's, yeah, maybe I'm not grinding as much at work, but I'm still going to try to kill you on the soccer pitch. I'm still going to work harder than you in the gym. I'm still going to, you know what I mean? That's just me for some reason. That's just how I am. And again, is that nature? Is that nurture? I don't know. It's probably a mix of both. Yeah, that, that, that competitive streak. I can definitely relate to that. You know, if I'm, uh-huh. if I'm competing in anything, I sort of have to, you know, <laughs> I, I do everything I can to win. You know, yep. <laughs> even if it's, you know, me and my girlfriend going competing. <laughs> my, wife, my wife hates it. She's kicked <laughs> over a chessboard or a weighty board or anything we do a lot of times because I never let her win. Mm. <laughs> She's like, you better be nice to our kids. I'm like, it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I will beat them 21 to zip in a basketball game until they can beat me. And then I'll be very pissed off and I'll try to figure out a way to beat them even if they're better than me. <laughs> but see, I, 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 would, I would prefer that to um, letting your kids win all the time. Because uh-huh. it build, builds resiliency the other way. Uh-huh. Uh, Zach, I agree. Where, where can people find more about you and Funded Today? Funded Today, yeah. You can go to funded.today or fundedtoday.com. We do own the .com now after many years. So <laughs> eventually we did get the .com. Um, and if you want to listen to our podcast, fundedtoday.com forward slash podcast. The, the episode on goal setting is probably my favorite. We got quite a few. I think we have 17 episodes now. So if you're into crowdfunding, the first one to seven should be really good. But then we get on a bunch of other topics as well that I think are pretty interesting. Listen to me on 2x speed. I've heard I'm better at that rate. And you can get through a podcast in about 20 minutes. So... Amazing. Yeah, guys, definitely recommend checking out Zach and uh, Funded Today out. Um, he's done so much in such a short amount of time and he's impacted so many lives. So, Zach, thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I had a really good time. Very insightful questions. If this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, I appreciate you for stopping by. Please subscribe. Otherwise, if you took away valuable advice from this episode, I'd love for you to share it with others. Until next time.